Amen. I am excited about what the Lord is doing. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing in my life and my family and in this church. Amen. I'm going to talk tonight about a subject just called abandon. I'll talk to you about abandon tonight. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're just going to get right in. I'm getting a little bit of a late start. Doesn't mean I'm going to preach any shorter, though. <laughs> I am just a chip off the old block now, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go to verse 8. Let's read verse 8. Now, we sing a song that's pretty much verbatim of this verse, and I think that might be the type of song the Lord loves, those ones where we just sing the Scripture. So, verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are persecuted, but not in despair. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. We're going to primarily work in these two settings tonight. We're going to go back and forth a little. Hebrews 10, 25, very familiar. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Not forsaking. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And Jesus, we come here tonight, God, to to open it, to study it, to, to preach it, and to receive, God, what you have for us. I ask you to anoint the speaking and open hearts tonight that this isn't just something, again, that that we've studied or a thought that we have, but rather it's exposing your word. It is a word from you. It is something to encourage, to strengthen this body, to help us to see something about you and grow a little closer to you, God, and to move from glory to glory in you, Jesus. So I ask you tonight that by your spirit this can be done and you have your way in this service. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That word forsake, uh, it's to abandon. It's abandoned. Um, In that word abandon, it's something that we do. It's something that we have to make a decision to do, to forsake, to abandon. And, And abandoning means you're purposefully leaving something with the intention of never coming back. You are going to completely leave it and not return. Uh, I remember I was, a, this, I don't have a lot of memories as a little kid. I don't know, some of you guys have great memories of when you were like four or five. I have a few. One of them, I felt abandoned. Have you ever felt abandoned? Now, looking back, I just got lost, but I thought my parents abandoned me. And I was in the Santa Clara County Fair. And if you know where that is, it's a very busy place, San Jose area. And I was five years old, and I got separated from my dad, and I was taught back then something different than they teach today. I was taught to find a police officer because they are good. So five years old, I, I can't find my dad. I, I'm scared to death, and, and I, there's a sea of people, and I remember this memory. There's just people everywhere. I, I was lost, and I saw that police officer on a motorcycle. He was, has his own little booth set up, and, man, I ran over to him, and I remember I was crying. I remember telling him, I can't find my parents. I'm lost. I felt abandoned. And he just put me on his bike, and I remember waiting there. Now, to me, I remember it being hours. It wasn't. And eventually, my parents came. They were searching, and I think they were more scared than I was. But they found me. And I'll never forget, I had this great fear of being left alone after that. I was a kid. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of being home alone. And it kind of happened at that age. I felt abandoned. The truth of this word that we just spoke, the Lord never, ever abandons us. 
But we have a tendency to want to abandon him. It's us that wants to forsake his things. It's us that wants to leave with the intention of not coming back to everything that he has. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, I love this verse. I love when it says that we are persecuted. We are going to go through some trouble. Things are going to happen, but we're never forsaken by the Lord. Pop culture today is uh, very flaky. How many of you agree with that? Pop culture is ever-changing, ever-moving uh, with the times. And, and, and there's this abandoning, there's this forsaking of the things of God and the Word of God in pop culture Christianity. And we have to wake up and see it because the, the regular pop culture, the entertainment of this world, the, the art, the sports, the movies, the games, all those things... They've never been pro-God, even from the beginning. They weren't necessarily to edify God. They were to please ourselves. And I'm not going to tackle entertainment. I like some of it. I like do some of it. But it's in its own category. The problem with pop culture Christianity is it claims the name of Christ. And so when we look at Christian music and Christian movies and Christian books and TV and the, the preaching of the mainstream Christian culture... It is a reflection of the culture and the world as well. It is literally a mirror image of worldliness, and then they add the name of Christ to it. This is a flaky thing. This is something that is not rooted in Scripture, not rooted in Christ, and they have abandoned. They have literally purposefully left off the Word of God, left off the foundation of Christ, and they have embraced culture. And this year has been an amazing year. Somebody at the beginning of the year said 2020 is going to be a year of vision, of clear vision. You know, looking back, I think they were right. The band-aid has been taken off. The vision has been opened up. You get to see who the real men of God are and who the cultural guys are. You get to see those that are compromised and those that are true. There's a lot of pastors that I follow on Twitter. I, I love to read their Twitter posts. They're all multicultural stuff. They're all pro-culture. They're all trying to be relevant to society, but not necessarily trying to stay anchored or rooted in the Word of God. It's a very finicky, flaky way to serve the Lord, and I'll be honest with you, it is off the foundation, and it has forsaken the Lord. It's abandonment. In pop culture, we've got clothing, music, movies, and generationally, those things change. They're ever-changing. I mean, come on, we like to have fun. We have 80s day in high school. That's a hoot, right? That's awesome. I love when my daughters wore 70s clothes, 80s clothes, and we have our Harvest Festival, and I, I really enjoy some of those eras. It's hilarious. I like when they wear the 50s dresses. That's really cool. Those eras are done and gone. Now, some things come back, and then they, they go out of style again, but it's ever-changing. It is not foundational. It doesn't remain the same. But the gospel, it doesn't change. The Word of God is the same. And so if we're to look back, generations of the preaching, the writing, those that were things that were going on, you will see true men of God in every era because they're preaching the same thing. You can actually find the thread of godliness in every era. And the men who stand up for truth and the men and the women who preach God, who preach Jesus, you can still see the same word. And we have a sure word, a more sure foundation in the Scripture anchored to the apostles, the writing of the apostles, anchored into the, the chief cornerstone of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Something that doesn't change. Our nature, 
is to change with the tide, change with the culture. Come on. We have to fight that. The delivery might be a little bit changing, but not the word. Mars Hill, in Acts chapter 17, Paul, he's going to speak to the Greeks. He's going to speak in Athens, and, and they have this place where they, they reason amongst themselves. They discuss religion and philosophy. And Paul, however he did it, took his turn, got in line, got to his post, got to a place where he could speak to an unknown God. They had an inscription, an idol. They had all these different things, and they had an inscription to the unknown God. And Paul used their culture to preach the word. But he didn't preach their culture. He used used a way, a method. He got into a place where it was accepted to hear, and then he preached the straight and true word of God. Somebody said, man, I just love social media. I just use social media to reach the lost. Well, it's really hard to reach the lost when it needs to be a one-on-one discipleship gospel. Really hard through social media. You might make some contacts, though. You might get lined up, though. There might be a way to stay connected to some people. Do you follow me with what I'm saying? There are a lot of churches in this season, this 2020, that have completely given up on the physical gathering together of the body of Christ. And I'm not trying to throw... We're not online, are we, tonight? Whew, good. People at home are going to be mad at me. I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody for not coming to church tonight. I'm not doing it. You're all here. I'm speaking to the choir tonight. But there is a move that is saying that we can do this thing remotely, that you can live your Christian life at home, that you can do this thing without the body of Christ. You can have the same relationship with the Lord from your computer screen into the church service as being there. Come on, you've heard this. You've talked to people that have said, oh, man, my my church isn't meeting, but we're online. It's been great. It's been months and months and months, and people are in despair in our country. Suicide rates are up. Domestic violence is up. Depression is up. There are problems. There are things happening within the Christian communities. So you can go online and research this just from a scientific perspective, and we have a real problem. People were meant to gather, and the Lord specifically said to the church, don't abandon that. I mean, abandoning is something that's a permanent. We're into 10 months of this. Now, as a church, we might say temporarily, maybe we get together like we did, and we said, hey, let's get together on a Sunday night. Let's do some online on a Sunday morning, but we're still going to meet. We're still going to get together. Let's see where this thing goes. And after a few months, we said, that's enough. We can't do this forever. Come on. We cannot abandon that principle. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you can't be sick and miss a church service. What I'm telling you, there's an abandoning, though of the tenets, the principles of God that you cannot buy into. The message is unchanged. Jesus spoke in parables. I love the parables. You talk about uh, talking to a culture. He will use things they understand exactly to bring the kingdom. He didn't compromise the kingdom for the culture. He used what they knew to bring the kingdom to them. This is what Paul did at Mars Hill. This is what we can do with the tools we're given today, the tools in our society. We can absolutely use them to bring the same unchanged message. And Jesus did that in parables. So I'm going to give you a little analogy tonight, a little not parable in Jesus' form, but I want to look at something happening to our society right now that I think mirrors this abandoning of the gathering together. Let me give you a quote. Alexander Hamilton, founding father, In the 1790s, he said this, 
safety from external danger, is the most powerful director of national conduct. I'm going to read it again. You're all looking at me like, what did you just say? Safety from an external danger is the most powerful director of national conduct. Look around at America, church. An external danger called coronavirus from a different country called China is absolutely directing the conduct of your country. And Alexander Hamilton said a lot more on this. He said, listen, even the love of liberty will, after a time, give way to the dictates of this national conduct. The violent destruction of life and property incident to war, the continual effort and alarm attendant on a state of danger will compel nations, the most attached to liberty, to resort to repose and security to institutions which have a tendency to destroy their civil and political rights. Now I'll sum it up for you. I know that was a lot. He said this to sum up that entire thought. To be more safe, the people at length are willing to run the risk of being less free. To be more safe, the people want to be less free when they're in danger. And so I look around at our country and I see a danger. Okay. There's always been sickness. There's always been famine. There's always been pestilence. I'm not saying this is not a sickness. I, don't get me wrong. I'm not here to throw stones. I'm not trying to say there's not something people are getting sick at. But there have always been, there always will be famines and catastrophes and sicknesses and pestilences. There have always been. What there isn't always, though, is a country based in freedom and liberty and the right to gather. And so this particular time that we are in right now, there is an absolute compromise of our liberty for safety. Edmund Burke was a British Parliament member, same time frame. I was trying to find the oldest quote of this, and he's one of the oldest ones I could find. It's one of our favorites. All that's necessary for the triumph of evil is good men do nothing. And he also said something else. People never give up their liberties unless they're under some kind of delusion. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that the Christian church falls into the same category. You do not give up your freedom in Christ, your liberty, your freedom from sin, your liberty in the Lord. You don't give it up and trade it in unless you are deceived. Eve in the garden was deceived. She did not want to give up her freedom and her love and her life in God, but she was deceived and she bought into the lie. Ben Franklin said, They that can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither safety nor liberty. Do you understand that the American Revolution was bought and paid for in blood? I don't think they were safe. These men, these founding fathers, they, they risked their futures, their wealth, they risked their families, their lives, all of it on the line for this thing called America, for this thing called freedom. It was not safety that made us free. It was not safety that gave us this life in America. I'm still giving the analogy. But it was bought and paid for by blood. And finally, Thomas Jefferson the people of every country are the only safeguards of their own rights, and they are the only instruments that can be used for that destruction. And certainly, they would never consent to be so used were they not deceived. 
This is an absolute perfect parallel for the Christian church in America today. We are absolutely giving up some liberty and freedom for safety. And safety from what? This has got to be the least dangerous pandemic in the history of the world. I'm not saying it isn't something, but it is smallpox was one-third the population. 33%. And people still had church. The Bill of Rights comes out in 1791. So 1776, you have the Declaration of Independence, and we go to war, and we fight, and they, they have the Constitution, and the Constitution has articles and sections and all these things that make up the government. But George Washington's elected president in 1789, and James Madison and these founding fathers and George Washington want to establish freedom for the people, the Bill of Rights. So there are 10 constitutional amendments called the Bill of Rights that was bought for and paid for by their lives. In 1791, the country wasn't even fully established yet. It was a fledgling nation in a lot of trouble, in total debt, probably going under. They really didn't know if we'd make it, but they knew one thing was important, these rights. And so, Amendment 1, Line 1, the primary, most important, number one point of this agenda Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, period. They can't tell you where to go to church. They can't dictate your church. They can't stop church, and they can't stop you from going, period. There's no unless there's a pandemic, unless somebody's sick, unless there is unsafety. It is not in there because they did not intend to make any other provoc- any other ability to stop this freedom from you. You need to understand the America side, the physical where you were born, freedom that's given to you here to understand the spiritual connection we're going to make in a minute. You have a right paid for by blood by this country that you can be here tonight and exercise your right. Not one person here has caused danger. None of you have caused anybody else danger for being here or risked hurting anybody by exercising a right that these men died for you to have. Second line, no abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble. Pretty sure we're all peaceful tonight. And this is your God-given, by America-given, right. It's under attack based on deception. And the pop culture Christian church has bought in. The mainstream church has bought in. You don't have to be in church as long as you give online. As long, hey, you can just hook your credit card up, Apple Pay online. It's awesome. Send in your ties, buy the books. Okay, let's move on. Second Corinthians chapter four. <clears throat> Go to verse five. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face or in the person of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, this treasure, the knowledge, the light, 
the knowledge of God in Christ in earthen vessels, in our life, in our hearts. We have this treasure that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. We do not preach ourselves. You did not pay for this gospel in your own blood. He did. And then he handed it down to you. And, and there are tenets, there are amendments to this faith. There, there are commandments he gave. He, he literally superseded the old covenant. He, he actually went above and beyond the ten basically commandments of God, the ten amendments that God had given the people. He went above and beyond that, and, and he wrote them in our hearts now. He said it's not just that you can't commit adultery, but, but your heart's got to be right. If you lust, it's adultery. I want your heart right. I want you clean, pure, following me. So we don't preach ourselves because we can't. We preach Christ. And the problem in America today is they don't teach Constitution. They, they teach themselves. You can see it in politicians today. It's about them. It's about the now. It's about the change. It's about the culture. It's about what's happening today, how important they can be, what they can get, what they can receive. And the Christian church mainstream functions the same way. It's about the preacher. It's about the building. It's about the money. It's about the clout. It's about the celebrity. It's about the fame. That's what it's about because it mirrors this culture. But Paul says we don't preach ourselves. We didn't pay for this. It wasn't in our blood. Now, many of them would die for this gospel. They would. But we preach Christ, not ourselves. The purpose is to bring Jesus alive and into this culture, into this world. And, and for us as Christians, I'm talking to the saved, as us as Christians, we have this light of the knowledge of Christ in this vessel. I have it. You have it. It's to be shared. It's a light to be shared. It is absolutely to be lived openly, to be shown. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to preach, but certainly your life is going to live it. You're going to speak the gospel of your life to those around you. Paul writes, we are bondservants. We are servants. We are not the masters. We're servants. We get to serve the Lord. We, the one who paid for us, bought us with the price of his blood, the one who laid this thing down and established his word and, and gave it to us, he paid for us. We are bond servants now. And what we have that's even worthy to be shared what I have that's even worthy to be shared is not me. It's only Him. He's the treasure. If I think for a minute that I have something, Paul said there's not one good thing in me. Not one except Christ. Except Christ. So if I think for a minute that, hey, well, the blessings I have are because I work so hard. You know, you know the things I have, the family I have, it's, I've earned it. You know, I just... I've done such good things with my life. I made the right decisions and I got the right advice and I did the right things. And so therefore I earn and deserve these items, these things, these blessings. I would be wrong. But because of the Lord and the goodness of God, God has placed me and used me and molded me and 
life is good in Him. So if things aren't there, it's still good in Him. If I go through a troubled time, if I am persecuted, if I am struck down, if I have these troubles, these anxieties, Pastor Rodney, if I have these things come against me, I am not walking out of the will of God, but rather He is with me. See, I'm struck down, but not destroyed. I am perplexed. That means uncertain. I might have uncertainty. Any of you ever been uncertain about some things? I'm going to tell you what. Paul said you're going to see through a glass darkly. We prophesy in part. We preach. We see in part. We don't have the full. There's some uncertainty as we are in these flesh, human bodies. We don't have it all. We don't know it all. It's not all figured out. We might be uncertain. We are not in despair. I love when Pastor Ronnie preached about anxiety. I love seeing that perspective of these troubles, these things that they will come, they do come. How we handle them, what, what goes on, what is, we are human beings, they're coming. But we have this faith, we have this walk in the Lord, we have this peace in Christ, we have this one place to go, this one thing to do, one place to be in, one person to know. And he covers all. He will not let us be destroyed. There's a scripture that says there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, not height, not depth. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the treasure that you hold in an earthen vessel. Man, this is exactly what you need every day. It's what you need for your families. It's what you need for your job. It's what you need for those friends at school, those people you know. Not that you are perfect, say the right things, have everything figured out. You just hold the treasure. <laughs> the relationship with Jesus is a choice you're going to make. It's reciprocal love. If we don't love him, we forsake him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He also said, if you're a friend with the world, you're an enemy of the kingdom. There's a lot of preachers out there today that are friends, very good friends with the world, buddies. This isn't to say that you can't work and you can't know people and you can't go places and do things, but you can see it in their preaching that they want to be friends with the culture. And that's an enemy of God. He has forsaken the word. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without greediness, your manner of living. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say this, the Lord is my help, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And herein lies a little bit of the danger. You see, we really care about what man can do to us. We really care. i got to be honest with you. There's a lot of times I care. I don't like to be hurt. You guys like to be hurt? I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like being talked about. I don't like being physically assaulted. I'm not a fighter. I'm scared of spiders. I'm not the best at fighting. I'm not looking to get hurt by a man, but man can certainly hurt me in a lot of physical ways. You can be ostracized on your job. Anybody gone through that? Had that happen? You have people talk about you that family members, had a family member leave a, leave a message years ago. Sandy, remember this? Threatening to kill me. A family member. It's about 17, 18 years ago. Wanted to kill me because I had said some things about the gospel they didn't like. 
We've all been through these things. But the Lord is our help. What can man really do to us? They can kill the body. They can't touch the soul. The freedom that we have in Jesus, the liberty in Christ, is untouchable by man. They can't affect it. They can't touch it. They can't do anything to your faith, to the liberty and freedom you have to live away from sin, above sin, in Christ, serving Him in any condition, any place, any time, anywhere. You have that in you. And that can't be touched. Only you can abandon that. Only I can forsake that. What a great promise I have in the Lord. Oh, God, let your conduct, let my conduct show you glory, God. Okay. There are people who blame God, hate God. There are people who abandon Him because of pain, because of past. Some abandon him for pleasure. Some abandon him for wealth. Some abandon him for a time promising to return one day. Anybody ever thought about that? Some abandon him out of fear of their own life. And I was thinking about all these reasons why we forsake, why we abandon. And I was thinking about our culture and and, and coming to church, just the idea of coming to church. There have been people that have criticized even me for meeting with you a church. I'm not saying that you shouldn't use wisdom when you're sick, okay? If you got, you're, you're snotting all everywhere, you know, hey, keep that to yourself somehow. But my own company even told me when I had a diagnosis of whatever this COVID thing was, you need to stay home for two weeks, please don't go to church. That's crossing the line a bit. Only reason why I agreed, because it was two weeks. It wasn't abandoning. I was not going to forsake that. But I began to think about what gathering looks like, what this means. You know, in different parts of the world, different places, different countries, it's, it is a little different looking. Think about the North Korean church. They're underground. A lot of these fishermen, they get together. I read a story to the youth group. I think I might have shared it with the church a few years ago. They have church on the water under cover of fog in the mornings. They go out in their fishing boats and they meet and they praise the Lord and they they share what pages of Scripture they have. They don't even have full Bibles. And they meet under cover of fog to hide from the government. And in China, we met some missionaries to China back in Pennsylvania and they said that, that the true church meets underground. They actually go out at night. They go out and they meet in fields. They meet in forests, places of cover. Sometimes they have to worship with whispers. They sing worship songs whispering so they can't be heard. Sometimes they meet upstairs above restaurants. They meet in buildings, office buildings. They meet in, back, meet in back corners. They have teaching, and they do these things undercover in protection. But you know what they do? They gather. They never stop. The early church met. They went house to house, breaking bread, continued daily, and as often as they could, they continued. And the doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread in prayers, they met. There is something we should abandon, though. There is something. Go to Ephesians 4, 22. I'd mark this, if you haven't, as something to abandon. That you put off according to your former conduct, that old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put in the new man, which was created according to God 
in true righteousness and holiness. I tell you something that happens with deceit is it's a slow fade. It's a growing thing. And so Paul says, put off. Go ahead and abandon that old man. Abandon that old way of thinking. The old man thought about self first. The old man cared about his comfort first. The old man cares about his things, his pleasure, his life. It's all about self. But this new life is love God first. Love others next. You're not even factoring into the picture. This culture today says you've got to love yourself to learn how to love other people. That's what they say. I've heard preachers get up and say the same thing. Preachers! Because they mirror the culture. Saying the same thing. You've got to love you if you're going to love others. You've you got to know you. You've got to love yourself to love your kids. Love yourself to love your wife. Love yourself in order to have everything in the proper order. That's deceit. That's a lie. Ephesians 4.22, you have got to forsake and abandon that old life. And it's more than just that. Come on, some of you have things that have to be completely abandoned and never thought about again. There have been some safeguards I've put into my life. There are some things that I met with Sandy about 17, 18 years ago and said, we are never going down this road again. Here's a safeguard. Here's a block. This is never happening again. I had to abandon some things in my past. Because if I don't, it will grow corrupt. That old man will slowly come back, slowly growing corrupt. It it overtakes you, not in a moment usually, it's over time. And it gets you to start abandoning the things of God when you should be abandoning that old life. Be renewed in your mind, in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed, be refreshed in this new life in Christ, that new birth that Pastor talked about this morning, that being born again, this new life. You have to do it daily. You've got to be staying with the Lord daily. You have to be refreshing daily because that corruption is going to grow. It's going to grow upon you daily as well. Now let's go to the last part. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. This is our last few verses. Okay, we're making okay time. We're almost done. Let's start at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In verse 23, something to hold fast to. It's take possession of. Man, I started to read this a few weeks ago, and I went, I've got, I love this. Take possession of what? The confession of hope. Take possession of it. It's just something that you've got to own. You've got to have. This is your confession. This Greek word is homologia. It's what's inside coming out of your mouth. Take possession of the confession of hope. That treasure in earthen vessels. That belongs to you. You belong to God. You belong to Jesus. And He belongs to you. You have Him in this earthen vessel. He has saved you, washed you, bought you. You absolutely belong to Him. Take possession of the hope without wavering. Be firm. Be strong in your confession. Be strong in the hope that is in you. Don't 
waver. It doesn't matter what culture's doing. It doesn't matter what the big churches are forsaking, what they're abandoning, what's happening around you. You take possession of your confession because he who promised is faithful. Because of him. It isn't about you being so great. It isn't about me having such great, wonderful faith. It's the confession of who he is. It's the confession of what he's already done. It's the confession of what I know him to be, him alone to be. I fail. I pale in comparison. I am a man. I do not measure up to the Lord, but I have a confession to give you. I have a hope in me. I'm going to take possession of who he is, and I'm going to share that. Because he was glory to me. He saved me. And he brings that to you. We have got to stir up one another. <laughs> I just, this, this verse 24, the writer of Hebrews says, let's think about this. Let us consider. Think about this for a second, church. Let's think about one another. Let's consider one another. We're part of this thing. God, He saves us. He washes us. You have a relationship with Him one-on-one. Yes, you do. But you are to be stirred up with one another. Think about this. Consider each other. To stir up love and good works. Why should we not forsake the gathering together? Why should we not abandon this important thing? Because in the gathering together is going to be a stirring up. And this word means to stimulate it means to poke. Go ahead and just softly kind of poke your neighbor. That's yeah, step. Stir up. Love and good works. You're really waking them up. Some of you are falling asleep. Some of these college kids, they're about done. They're like, whoa, I'm, I'm tired of this. Stimulate one another. Think about each other. Think about the stirring up, the, the stimulation. For what? For love. Agape love and good works. I, I don't know. How often do I need to come to church? As often as I need to be stirred up. How often I need to hear the Word of God. As often as I need a little stimulation. I need a little poke. Come on. I'm out working every day. I, I, I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough to just be in church once a month or just online or just seeing a few things here and there or, or just getting a devotional done in the morning. I need the gathering. I need the body of Christ. And so do you. Every one of us needs this. God designed it. Now here, our culture, we meet in this building. We meet in a building. We sing worship. We, we get before God and we open our hearts and we try to be genuine and honest and let God move and we want to praise Him and lift Him up and, and then we pray for one another. This is what we do. We've done this in America for hundreds of years. We, we pray for one another. We want to honor God. We, we hear the Word. It's broken open. It is taught with revelation, it is taught with depth. It stimulates the mind, the heart, the soul. This is what we do, and this should not be abandoned. And there may come a time that it's going to look a little different. The gathering might look different, but the gathering is going to happen because it has to. We can't abandon any of the basic principles, any of them, of our faith. We can't avoid, stop, or let anything impede the gathering together of the body of Christ. Peter and John, preaching in the temple, they had a man that they healed right outside a gate, beautiful. 
And that man goes in and all the people, all the Jews, all these people see this healing. They're glorifying God. They want to know what happened. Who is it? What is going on? Well, Peter and John are going to end up preaching to them in Jesus' name. It's going to end up preaching to them. And the Jews come and they arrest them and they say, look, you cannot preach in this name. Peter and John are not obstinate. They're not trying to take up arms. They're not trying to disobey or insult anybody in the temple. That's not the goal here. The goal is not to go in and fly in the face of the Jewish priests or the temple. They're not trying to do that. They're not trying to be disruptive. But a miracle just happened, and they're going to preach about what that miracle was all about. And they looked to these men and they said, who are we to obey, God or man? And there's going to come a time, and I think it's on us now, but that's the question we have to answer in our homes and in this church. Are we going to obey God or man? We have to always obey God. We can never obey man. But we don't go out to seek ourselves. We don't go out to be rebellious for a purpose of, of what? I mean, listen, I'm going to just, since we don't, we're not online, talking to home folks here, I hate wearing the masks. I hate them. But, but, that's a lot more of an inconvenience. It's a very big inconvenience that I think is for a bunch of reasons that I don't believe. That's personal. Okay. But not gathering together now becomes biblical. Wearing a mask going into Costco is, is a business decision they make and something our culture is making me do, and I hate it. But I can still go shop. I can still live my life. I can still do what I have to do. But the shutting down of the gathering together, that crosses over now to something. I can't obey that, and neither can you. How often do I need to be in church? As often as I possibly can need to be stirred up. I personally might need it more than you. I don't know, but I need to be here. I need to be stirred up. I need to, be, I need to hear the Word of God. I need to be encouraged. Sometimes I need to just get before God and be refreshed. Sometimes I need to repent of something. Sometimes I need to be stimulated in my mind. Sometimes I've gotten a little dry in my thought, in my study. I haven't seen anything. And one of these preachers will preach something. Oh, man, that is exactly, yes, I, I can't believe it. I never saw that before. And I go home and I read and I study and I pray about that. And I'm driving in my van, dwelling on it. I need that. And God already knew that. And so he established a gathering together. <clears throat> we must take possession of this hope. I am stating exactly what this author wrote. I'm not adding anything to it. It is simply the need to gather. Now, the manner of some was to discount the importance of the gathering. The need to assemble together. I, I have a note in this verse from Brother De La Vega. It says, some assembly required, right, by this need to gather. Come on, you're not a finished product yet. This church building is it's being assembled. And there's still some assembly required that the Lord's going to do. And we're a part of that. But there's a manner of some that discounts this. And Paul said, I want you to not abandon the meeting together, as is the manner of some. There are those who don't think it's important, those who don't want accountability, those who don't want to fit in, those who don't want to be a part of the body of Christ. I don't want you to be in that manner. Don't devalue the body of Christ, so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, this was important 2,000 years ago. 
how much more is it now? And we have churches all across this country devaluing this. But it's more important today than it was even 2,000 years ago. So much more. While the day approaches young people, God is coming back. Young people, the Lord is going to return. Do not be found outside of His will. Don't be found outside of the faith. Don't be caught unawares. But you gather. You assemble. You let God do a work in you. Let Him place you. Let Him build in you. Let Him mold you, make you. Let Him wash you clean. Let Him put you on the path He has for you. And don't ever stop assembling. Elders, we can't grow weary. We can't grow tired. We can't, out of fear of safety, stay home. It's okay once or twice. I get it. There's times, but you can't make that a habit. You can't abandon the faith. You can't abandon the gathering. There is just no reason for it. And I thank God that Brother Rudy and Sister Zina made every effort to be in this church in their 80s, sick, dying in their bodies, still coming. Two weeks before they died, they were sitting right back there, hugging necks, loving people, encouraging one another because they were fit into the body of Christ. And that is the kind of example I want to live. I want to be assembled in the body of Christ. I am thankful for the hope that is in me. I am thankful for the hope that is in you. We are blessed. Amen? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise, Pastor. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Brother Chris. Wow. That is, that is so, so relevant to right now, where we're at, what's going on. Amen. So much the more as you see the day approaching. What do you think the day is? It may be the day of trouble. That may be the day they shut it down and say, you're not, you, churches are, are no longer going to be open. A little worried. I don't know if we should say worry. Thank you, Brother Chris, for, for making that statement that we're going to gather. I don't care if it's out of Brother, Brother Curtis is down in the ditch. Down. We're going to gather. Isn't it amazing? I don't mean to add you did a really great job. 